with me in your Bibles or find in your bulletin an insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it as we turn to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, We'll use these words as a unison reading. Read the Word of God together beginning at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say... There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. If you take out your Webster's Dictionary and look up the word strange, you'll see some of these words listed as a definition. Unusual, extraordinary, peculiar, odd. Notice that it does not say pastor or even associate pastor in that definition. But one thing it does not say that it could say is this fourth chapter of the Gospel of John because it really is a strange chapter in many ways. It begins with Jesus traveling through Samaria, which Jews did not like to do. It continues with Jesus talking to a woman in public, which rabbis never did. And then Jesus, in speaking with this Samaritan woman, gives a fuller revelation of himself as Messiah as he had yet given to anyone, even his disciples. And it doesn't end there. 
this woman whom we assume was somewhat of a social outcast uh, because of her lifestyle went running into the city saying to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this man be the Christ? And they listened to her. They followed her out of the city. And we're told that many from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans come to Jesus, they ask Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Now isn't this strange? These townspeople taking her word for who Jesus was and then asking him to stay with them when Jews, we know, have no dealings whatsoever with Samaritans. How unlike what his hometown people did when he claimed to fulfill Scripture right there in their sight. And what did they do? They took him outside and tried to kill him by throwing him head first over a cliff. Or how unlike the Gerasenes when after Jesus had healed the demoniac and the demons had entered the herd of pigs came to him and asked him to leave as if to say, we don't want anything to do with you. Yet these hated Samaritans, hated by the Jews, these so-called half-breed religious heretics wanted to see Jesus even when he had performed no sign or miracle among them, and he consented and stayed. We may think this chapter is unusual, but in actuality it fits right in with Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because he doesn't always do what we think he'll do. He doesn't always say what we think he'll say. I mean, a Savior who curses a fig tree for not having any fruit on it when it's out of season. That's the kind of thing He says. That's the kind of thing He does. A Lord who tells us to cut our hand off if it causes us to sin. A healer that we found out in last week's passage who when He's speaking to a blind man, asks Him, what do you want me to do for you? He's totally other than what we expect. And we see that over and over in Scripture. And the disciples were quickly finding out that they understood little of what He said or of what He meant. For they came back from town with the food they had purchased for them all to eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And what do the disciples do? They start looking around. Where is this food? You know, where did He find food? Who bought food for him? They can't believe it. How did Jesus find food? And finally, Jesus had to plainly tell them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, who just minutes before had been tired and resting by the well. Scripture says he was weary from his travel. Just minutes before was tired. is now excited and refreshed for he's already seeing the results of his conversation with this woman. You have a saying, four months till the harvest, but just look and see how the fields are already white 
for harvest. I think Jesus was already seeing those people coming out from the village, coming toward the well. And He sees those fields ready for harvest. You see, Jesus already knows that with God all things are possible. On one occasion, later in His ministry, a a handful of Greeks asked to speak with Him and He sees in them symbolically a whole world ready for harvest. Or after sending them out two by two, the 70 disciples return and, and excited and joyful over their success, Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And here this woman who has made a mess of her life thinks that this could be the Christ. And she persuades her neighbors to judge for themselves. And and as he watches them approaching from the city, Jesus sees the kingdom of God at work. He sees the fulfillment of prophecy at hand. He knows the time of the Lord is now. It's as if Amos the prophet is speaking all over again. Behold, the days are coming when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. And what Amos means there is that time of sowing and reaping are coinciding and the harvest will be so abundant that it will take so long to gather it in that the plowman is again planning and overtaking the reaper out there in the field who still hasn't been able to gather in the first harvest yet. Jesus sees all of this happening before their very eyes and He tries to make the disciples catch a glimpse of what God is doing in their midst. Jesus says, you have a saying, one sows and another reaps. I'm sending you into this field as reapers. The first fruits of Samaria are already here and waiting to be gathered. But I think as we look at this passage, and and I know that it's a very famous passage, and most of us have heard about the woman at the well all of our lives. That's why we didn't read the first part of the story. I apologize if you've never read this passage before. But we have to ask ourselves, why were all of these Samaritans coming? Why did they believe this woman of all people? A woman who had had all of those husbands and the man she was living with then was not her husband. Why? Did they believe her? Well, first, it seems like that the answer must be that Jesus made such an impact upon her. And we know this because who told her that she had to go running into the town, saying to all the people there, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Jesus didn't have that conversation with her and say, now you must go and tell people about me. He didn't say anything like that. He had obviously made such an impact upon her that she wanted other people to meet him and to hear what he had to say. And the fact that others in the town came out to see Jesus is a credit to her testimony. They had not seen Jesus. They had not heard him. But they knew that she had because of her actions, because of her boldness. And they came because of what she said. For John tells us that many believed in Him because of her testimony. And you know, if we look back over our lives, that's why or how 
most of us have come to be in the church, have come to Christ because someone that we know or someone that we heard made an impact upon us and pointed us in the right direction. And because of this, we begin to see the immense importance of the church, of, of congregations full of people just like this one. Important, first of all, because of the great debt that we owe it. This is true because if we had to rely on ourselves, how inadequate our conception of Christ would be. But, but we're born into an enormous inheritance in Christ slowly and painfully won for us by Him on the cross and by the power of God that raised Him on the third day and by the power of His Holy Spirit that He continues to send into His church slowly and painfully won for us by Him, but also by others sharing with us what they themselves have found. Indeed, the Reformers laid emphatic stress on the privilege and advantage of being in the visible church precisely because of the atmosphere, because of the influence of God's people and the role they play in our lives being changed. I mean, just think back, those of you who grew up in the church, all of the people who had an impact upon you, the Sunday school teachers, the people who kept you in the nursery, the people who loved you, the youth group leaders who took you on campouts and, and retreats and trips, all of those people who poured their time and effort into your life. This woman at the well was an influence for good in that her testimony persuaded many townspeople to come and see Jesus. And after seeing and hearing Him for themselves, the people told the woman, it's no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that indeed this is the Savior of the world. Their belief in Jesus had become personal. And it seems like that, to me, that that must happen to each of us. That our belief must become personal. We can't all of our lives take someone else's word for the fact of who Jesus is. It's great that people in the church have an impact upon us, but we have to come to that point where we really know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Many of us are fortunate to have grown up in the church to, to live in a nation where the good news of the gospel can be freely taught and heard. But we can't exist on the faith of others. William Temple was so right when he said that faith in Christ must develop from a state of dependence upon authority. You know, someone that has told you something. Maybe it was your parent. Maybe it was a good friend. Maybe it was a grandmother who told you about Jesus. They were an authority in your life. He said that we have to move from a state of dependence upon authority to an assurance arising out of experience. And that's how it works in the Christian life because all of us accept Christ first of all, of course, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, but we have to hear the good news in some way or another. And we accept Jesus because 
of something someone has told us. Maybe it was our parent. Maybe it was our grandparents. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was one of the writers of Scripture. Nobody really told us that much. We were just reading Scripture one day and we decided that we needed Jesus as Lord and Savior. But a faith that remains at that stage is is somewhat insecure. But with the people in this village, we can see that they progress. Their belief is no longer based on the opinion of someone else who said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did, but on what they themselves have experienced. We've heard him for ourselves. We no longer believe because of you. They were able to see in Jesus who he really was and is, the Savior of the world. And this brings us to the second reason why the church is so important for this story of the woman at the well and her telling others is a a kind of example of the mission of the church. Jesus is indeed Savior of the world, but not just our world, you know, not just our neighborhood, not just our socioeconomic level, but the whole world, everyone out there. And He's still saying to His church and to you and to me, See how the fields are already white for harvest. Do you believe that? That the fields are white for harvest? Do you believe there are a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus? Right here in our community, zip code 29730 and zip code 29732, we have the latest demographic Information. Our revitalization team has been studying that information. And would you believe that almost 29% of the families in this community are not involved with their faith? That translates to over 12,000 families in this community. Not 12,000 people, 12,000 families that are not involved in their faith at all. The church has sown and reaped throughout the centuries. And we're still called to that today. For God's Word does not return empty, but He accomplishes His purposes through people like you and me. Through people like that woman who was excited about what Jesus had said to her. The fields are white. For harvest. And this My Hope ministry program that we're doing with Billy Graham can help us with that this fall, can help us as we seek out those lost people we know in our spheres of influence, whether they're a family member or a classmate in school or a neighbor or a co-worker, that we continue to work on our relationship, that we talk about things that are going on in the life of this church. They'll hear our excitement. They'll want to know more. And we have the opportunity to invite them to a gathering at someone's home later on in November where they'll hear from Billy Graham the good news of the gospel in the comfort of of a friend's home right there from the television set. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to become reapers 
just like the disciples did that day. We have to remember that by His power, our witness can yield results. For we see others joining the church and all ages coming to claim Jesus as their Savior. But more importantly, God's love ultimately yields results. For God is coming to this world through His own Son. And He continues to come as the Holy Spirit seeking and drawing people to Himself. And, and this fact takes the burden off of you and me in the sense that we're not taking grace to people the way that Jesus brought grace into the world. We're only helping people to discover it because the free gift of grace is already here in Jesus Christ. And we can even see that gift of grace in this wonderful picture that God has painted for us in this table that's before us this morning through this sacrament that Jesus Himself instituted. We see the grace of His body broken. We see the grace of His blood poured out for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world. We see the grace of the gift of redemption and the grace of eternal life with God the Father. In this table, we see the gift of the One who told us and continues to tell us all that we ever did. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, indeed the Savior of the world. What better person to talk about on this worldwide communion day than the Savior of the world? And as we proclaim that good news, then we are the church at work in the kingdom of God. And may God bless us to that end this day and in the days to come. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do thank you for this one.